Jeremiah chapter number one. I, I'm going to pick back up with the series next week. We're going to change directions tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm having fun with this. Uh, this, this is going to be a fun, fun series on the Word of God. Uh, but I've battled whether or not to pick back up with it tonight. But uh, this morning we had uh, Brother Marco Sr. Uh, was a guest speaker in our Sunday school class and singles class. And I already had this message up and was just battling on whether or not to preach it. And he literally read the text this morning in Sunday school. So it was too much of a, too much of a sign. Not that I needed a sign, but um, so Lord willing, next Sunday morning, we'll pick back up with the uh, Lord gave the word series. It's going to be fun. I'm excited about this. I've had a lot of people comment and say, I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, but tonight we're going to change up a little bit and go uh, to Jeremiah chapter 1. When, you're, when you find your place, stand with me, please. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 4, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. If the Lord will help us tonight, I want to preach on this thought, overwhelming assignments. Overwhelming assignments. Father, we pray tonight that you would help me <clears throat> I'd have liked to have a few more days to work on this message, but I really felt like it's what you wanted tonight. So I pray that you'd help us and touch it. Lord, I've, I've felt very strongly since I started working on this message that there's somebody in this church that you want to give an overwhelming assignment to. There may be more than one. But I pray, Lord, tonight that you would have your will away in hearts. May we be attentive and receptive. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. So just in case you didn't know it, God's not the least bit shy about asking feeble men to do things that are way out of their comfort zone. He's a God on a regular basis that will ask you and me to do what we think is humanly impossible. Now, make no mistake, the Bible's filled with instruction and admonition about things that are, can I say, doable. I don't want to say little things, but little things. Jesus said like this, he's been faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many, all right? So there's a lot of things that God asks of us that are small, doable tasks. <clears throat> we ought to be really busy doing those. 
so that if he ever comes to you with an overwhelming assignment, you're not, you're not completely overwhelmed. The only thing I can say to, to, tonight is this. If you and I are doing the little things, the things that we feel is insignificant or unimportant, that no one notices or no one sees or no one cares about, if we'll be faithful to do those, when the time comes and God's got something big he wants you to do, you'll be ready. I couldn't help but notice in this story <clears throat> several things that, boy, I could connect with in a personal way. We notice in verse number five, by way of introduction, I've got several introductory statements I want to make. But in verse number five, we see the ordaining of Jeremiah. We see his ordaining or the ordination, if you will, in verse number five. Before I formed thee in the belly, this is God talking to him. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. The preacher this morning in Sunday school said it, and I want to repeat it. If you only had one verse in the Bible against abortion, this is a good one right here. All right. Taking the life of a child before they're born. The Bible tells us here that God sanctified Jeremiah before he was born. <clears throat> amen. Y'all don't have to be shy with your amens. We don't believe in abortion around here, so you can say amen. You may have to swallow your tongue on the job. I hope you don't, but you ain't got to around here. I still preach against abortion. Amen. I still preach against the slaughter of the unborn. You say, I've had an abortion. Ask God to forgive you. He will. But that don't mean it's okay just because you've had one. Amen. And that's what he said. I, before, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. <clears throat> that tells me that God has a plan for mine and your life before we were even born. Right. Yeah. Amen. A lot of people spend their whole life trying to figure out what God wants them to do. God wants you to know what he wants you to do way worse than you want to know. And he told Jeremiah, he said, I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations, plural. So we see the ordaining of Jeremiah in verse 5. In verse 6, we see the objection of Jeremiah. Then said I, ah, Lord God, do you sense, do you sense the overwhelming burden that's placed on him? The Bible tells us, he said, ah, Lord God, I cannot, I cannot speak. For I'm a child. I don't know how old he was in Jeremiah chapter number one, but he called himself a child. It's not something a grown man does readily. Unless he's trying to get out of something. Huh? <clears throat> we see thirdly the overpowering of Jeremiah in verse number seven. He said, I cannot speak, verse six, for I'm a child. But the Lord said unto me, say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. What about that? God overruled. God overpowered. It's hard, it's hard to win 
a man-to-man talk with God. The sooner you learn to say uncle, the better your life will be. Amen. The sooner you learn to say, okay, yes, Lord. I look back over my life. There were times when I knew God wanted me to do something I didn't want to do. And it's not that I didn't want to do it. It's not that I didn't want to do it. I was afraid I'd do it wrong or afraid I'd mess it up. I heard a preacher say this one time. It's better to try and fail than fail to try. He said, I can't do this, God. I can't do this. I'm a child. You want me to be a prophet to the nations? I'm a child. Look at me. God said, no, don't say that. Don't you say that. Say not, I am a child. Thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. God overpowered. God overruled. And then notice what God said. Verse number seven. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Notice the obligation of Jeremiah. Thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. You've got an obligation. I'm putting something on you. It's a duty. It's an obligation. It's a responsibility. It's an assignment. You're obligated to do it. You're obligated to do it because I ordained you to do it before you was born. Stay with me. How are you going to argue with God that you're the wrong person for the job when he ordained you to do it before you was born. It wasn't a last minute decision. God wasn't standing in front of a bunch of people going any, many, mighty, mo. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He says, you're going to go where I tell you to go and you're going to say what I tell you to say. Look at verse eight. We see the opposition. Jeremiah. Oh, and by the way, Jeremiah, there's going to be some other people besides you that thinks you're the wrong man for the job. (laughs) See, it's one thing when you say, Lord, I can't do this. I'm the wrong man. And then you start doing what God says and somebody walks up to you and says, you can't say that. You're the wrong man. It feels different when somebody else says it. He says, don't be afraid of their faces. a few times I thought about just putting on a pair of sunglasses and preaching. So I ain't got to look at the faces of some of the people I preach to. You got some weird responses to the call of God sometimes. Sometimes you get suspicious looks. You get to preaching, you can just tell people suspicion like, Well, I wonder what he's up to. Here's what I love when you're speaking plain English like I do, butchered as it is. I wonder what he's trying to say. I'm trying to say exactly what I just said. You don't have to read between the lines, amen. I don't preach in double space, all right? You can't read between the lines. What I said is what I said. I wonder what what he's trying to say. 
You get suspicious faces and you get these faces that are scornful faces. No, he didn't, girlfriend. I can't believe he just said that. I can't believe he believes that. I can't believe in this politically correct woke world that he literally just said something about abortion. But guess what? I just literally said something about abortion. You're going to get canceled. Go ahead. Give it your best shot. You didn't call me. You can't cancel me. The only one I'm worried about canceling is God. When he cancels you, that's for real. Scornful faces. I wouldn't have said that if I was you. That's why God didn't call you to preach. Because he knew you wouldn't have said that. Amen. And if preaching was easy, God would be calling little girls to preach. You get scornful faces. That's pretty good right there. I'm sorry. That's pretty good right there. Suspicious faces. Looks of suspicion. Looks of scorn. Looks of strife. You just let me, just let me. After church, I'm going to tell him what I think. Oh, I've been hemmed up before. People want to fight over the message. I don't know which is worse, though, the suspicious faces, the scornful faces, the, the striving faces, or the stony faces. You're trying to preach. Take that, you take that word and you lob it over there. It just fizzles. Nothing. Just stare at you. I'm thinking, man, I thought when I was studying that, I thought that I thought that'd be a good verse right there. I thought that'd be a good point right there. What I love, here's what I love. Sit like this for 30 minutes. And then on the way out the door, they shake your hand and say, that was a good message. I was like, well, I would have never known it looking at your face. Wasn't even sure you had your hearing aid up. Praise the Lord. Amen. You know what he said to Jeremiah? He said, don't look at their faces. Don't, don't preach for some kind of a response. Don't, don't preach to be accepted. Don't preach to get into some kind of a club. I'm going to tell you where to go. I'm going to tell you what to say. And I want you to go where I told you to go and say what I want you to say. And don't worry about any opposition that comes your way. Well, that's easier said than done. Look at what it says in verse number nine. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I've put my words in thy mouth. See, verse 10, I've set this day, set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms. Notice the overcoming of Jeremiah. I love what he said in verse 9. I love what he said in verse number 8, rather. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee. All right? I'm with thee to deliver thee. And he said, I have set thee a child. Using his words, a child. I have set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out. How many of y'all in here enjoy pulling roots? 
I don't. We weeded our flower bed in the front yard about two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. I broke two nails. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care about breaking my nails, but I broke them way down in the quick and it hurt. Trying to pull those weeds. That's just little root, that's just little weeds. He said, I've called you to root out stuff that's been entrenched. Stuff that's been planted where it ain't supposed to be. The wrong stuff that's been planted. I need you to go in there and I need you to root it out. That's nasty, dirty work. We have no idea how many pastors got up in their pulpit this morning. How many pastors across America got up in their pulpit tonight. And I'm going to tell you what they was having to do the whole service. Root out. Because before there's any building, before there's any planting, before there's any construction, before there's any production, there's a whole lot of demolition in this verse. That's right. There's six things in this verse and four of them's demolition. You see that, don't you? Root out, pull down, and to destroy, and to throw down, and to build and the plant. We drove over here, drove past Diamond Point uh, a couple days ago, and I noticed over there that whole shopping center's been knocked down. Y'all notice that? Which it needed to be. I mean, it's an eyesore. It's unbelievable. But the first thing that I thought when I drove by that and I saw that, that whole shopping center, the whole complex was, was gone, the first thing we said to each other was, I wonder what they're going to put there. We just assumed we assume that they're going to put something else there. But before you can build something, sometimes you got to tear down what's there. And much of a preacher's ministry, these missionaries that we took on this evening are in places where they have to spend sometimes generations plucking down and pulling up and, and rooting out the false religions and the spiritism and the witchcraft and the, and the sexual incest and immorality that's so rampant in many of those African countries where they've just got no moral compass at all and where the families are so dysfunctional and there's been so much Satanism and so much darkness for generations. You bring the light of the glorious gospel in and many times you have to spend years just tearing down and breaking down before you can ever begin to see the moving of God to the place to where churches are started. I know, I did it. You want to talk about an overwhelming task? God sends you to Africa to a place where there's no clear presentation of the gospel and says, start a church. Man, it looks good on a prayer card. It looks good in a slide presentation. It's another thing when you're there. And you unpack your suitcases. And you start walking into villages. And you're looking at people. Never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Whew, it gets real quick. I tell you something tonight. God's not above asking feeble people to do humanly impossible things. A couple of things I noticed just about this whole idea in a general sense in the scripture. When it comes to overwhelming assignments, it starts, number one, with a task that is delegated. A task that is delegated. Now, 
I, I marvel at how God works. I, I'm a, can I say it? I'm a student of how God works. I'm not just one of those people that sits on the sideline going, oh, God did something amazing. I try to reverse engineer that thing. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I want to know what he did. I want to know how he did it and why he did it. It fascinates me how God works because that's what I live for is to watch God work. If you're saved and you're doing something for God, you want to see God work. So it's not a trivial thing to you when God works, but I'm fascinated many times at how he works and why he does what he does. Because when I'm thinking about this whole overwhelming assignments God created the entire universe in just six days. The whole universe. Evening in the morning was the first day. Evening in the morning was the second day. Evening in the morning was the third day. Evening in the morning was the fourth day. In six days, he created everything. Y'all believe that, don't you? Don't, don't be one of those people who says, well, it was a thousand years. A thousand years is a day, and days is a thousand years. No, an evening in the morning is a day, Dumbo. It's evening in the morning. Like, I mean, like God is so weak that it takes him a thousand years to create something as opposed to a 24-hour period. I mean, I'm sorry, but if he can do it in a thousand years, he can do it in 24 hours. <laughs> exactly. I heard, heard this joke about the devil got into an argument with God and said, you think you're all that? He said, I could create a man. I could make a man. God said, go ahead. The devil reached down and grabbed a handful of dirt. God said, no, no, you got to make your own dirt. <laughs> I mean, it, God built, I'm going somewhere with this, all right? God created the whole world in six days. Are we in agreement? Spoke the worlds into existence. So explain to me why he assigns feeble man something he could do himself quicker and better. Blows my mind why he would even fool with us. He could do it himself. God could go to Burundi and start a church tomorrow. He could show up. He could perform miracles. He could feed people. He could turn the water into wine and then walk on it. People are getting saved everywhere. He could baptize them, start a church, call someone of them to preach. Why does he use us? Begin making a list of people in the Bible that were giving overwhelming assignments by God. I was surprised by how many of there were. Noah. I love building as much as anybody, but I'm going to be honest with you. If God was tapping me on the shoulder in the middle of nowhere and say, build an ark and, and put, put two animals of every kind on the ark. Oh, and you better do it before it starts raining. Oh, and there's no Home Depot or Lowe's or Lumberyard. There's no DeWalt's or Makita's or, 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 or no, no power cords. Yeah. I want it this big and this size and Thank you. I believe I'd have walked in the door. My wife would have said, what in the world's the matter with you? I said, you ain't going to believe this. I got to build an ark. Build an ark. I got to cut down trees. Well, first of all, I got I to mine some ore. I got to mine some, some ore and make an axe. 
Man, overwhelming. Can we agree that's an overwhelming task? Imagine Abraham in Genesis 12, he's 75 years old. He's at the age when most people are retiring, kicking back, sitting on the front porch, watching the sunsets, bouncing grandkids on their knee. God says, hey, I want you to load up and I want you to go to a country. Don't worry about it. I'll tell you when you get there, when you're there. Load up, load up, take your family to a country. Just go. Take all your stuff and just go. That's overwhelming. It'd be, it'd be enough to move if you knew where you were going. It's like being stuck on the beltway trying to get off of an exit and your GPS won't work. Don't you love that? It just bogs down. And you're like, oh, I need to know. Should I turn right, turn left? And it's just this little wheel turning. You don't want to throw it out the window. They didn't even have that. Overwhelming. Thought about Moses in Exodus 3. When the bush is on fire and God said, I want you to go deliver Israel. Me? <laughs> Me? You want to do, huh, where, what? Go stand before Pharaoh and tell him I sent you and I want you to deliver all this of Israel out of the, out of the clutches of 400 years of slavery. Me? You gotta be kidding me. Who am I, is what he said, who am I? What am I gonna say? Well, who am I gonna tell him sent me? I mean, he had all these excuses. I think he was overwhelmed. What about Joshua? He crossed the Jordan River. The children of Israel, and God said, all right, there's a wall city right there. They hadn't seen one of them in a while. 40 years of walking around in the wilderness. There's a city with walls around it. That's overwhelming. God said, just start hiking. Just start walking. I went, wow, this is crazy. Overwhelming. What about Gideon in Judges 6? Over there threshing wheat behind the wine press. The angel Lord comes up and says, you're, you're the man, mighty man of valor. I'm going to use you to deliver the people. And he said, you talking to me? Have you looked at my birth certificate? Do you have any idea who I am? My father's house is the least. I'm a nobody. Me? He was so overwhelmed, he was trying to get out of it. He said, I'll tell you what. Bear with me here, sir. He put a fleece, put a fleece out there on the ground. He said, all right, if you really want me to do this, let the ground be wet and the fleece be dry. Got the next morning, ground was wet, fleece was dry. He's like, oh, man. <laughs> um, sir, bear with me if you don't mind. <laughs> but let's, let's change it up a little bit. Let's let the ground be dry and let the fleece be wet. Then I'll know. Woke up next morning and wrung a bowl of water out of that out of that fleece and the ground was dry. <laughs> well, I got a decent sized army. God said, yeah, let's talk about that just a minute. He got too many people, too many soldiers to fight against an army that the Bible says was as the sands of the sea. Yeah, you got too many. Just tell all the ones that are afraid, afraid of cats to go home. Gideon's like, I'm going home, man. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's afraid. Everybody's scared. Go home. They started leaving in droves. He's like, oh, my soul. God said, yeah, we still got too many. Lead them all down to the brook and, and have them drink and just, 
Separate the ones that get on their face and drink and the ones that kneel and look. Separate them. And when he got done, he had an army of 300 men. Oh, it gets better. I want you to go into battle and here's what I want you to have. I want you to have a trumpet in one hand and a pitcher with a candle in it in the other hand. This is what I'm supposed to fight with? Yeah, but let's throw them off. Just to the loud, loud as you can, I want you to holler out the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, even though you don't have a sword. And blow the trumpet and break the pitcher and yeah, I imagine right about then he was feeling overwhelmed with this assignment. Are y'all still with me? Nehemiah, you reckon Nehemiah felt overwhelmed? A cupbearer. Here's what the Bible says. You don't have to turn over there. But in Nehemiah chapter number two, while all the men were sleeping, I read this story all the time. I love this story. He says in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12, I rose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do. He didn't even tell anybody. Overwhelming. A cupbearer, not an architect, not a builder, not an engineer. A cupbearer. I want you to put those walls back. Put those gates back. We could just go on and on and on and on. There's one in the New Testament that still applies today. And that's when Jesus looked at the church, looked at his disciples right before his feet left the Mount of Olives. And he said, I want you to go tell every creature the gospel. That's what he said. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's an overwhelming assignment. Can, can, we, can we all agree on that? That's not an easy, small, doable task. That's not, that's not in there with read your Bible and pray every day. No, this is overwhelming. We see the task that is delegated in every situation that we just gave you. God could have done it better himself. He could have done it better without man, but he chose to use man. So I wanted to say that tonight before I go any further. If God ever taps you on the shoulder for an overwhelming assignment, don't get the big head. Number two, we see a trust that is demonstrated. Sometimes God asks us to do things we never thought we could to make us rely on him. See, God loves it when we're forced to rely on him. Notice how I said that. Because many times we have to be forced to rely on him. We all agree that God can do it and God can do it better. And he knows what he's doing and we don't know what we're doing. And yet how many times do we try to do it ourselves without his help? He's not just pleased when man puts faith in him. Nothing pleases him but us putting faith in him. Brother Bell, that hit me. God's not just pleased when we put faith in him. Hebrews 6, 
Hebrews 11.6 says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. And sometimes God has to put us in, in, in what I like to say, throw us off in the deep end of the pool. Anybody ever been thrown off in the deep end of the pool? I mean like a real swimming pool. Anybody? That, don't, that can't swim? I swim like a rock. I do. I mean, there's a bag of concrete to swim better than me. It's unreal. Don't ask me why. It's in my head. I know. But I can't, I can't swim. I can doggy paddle for a little while, but I run out of gas quick. If you see me in the ocean with my hand up, don't even call 911. I'll be dead before they get there. Just leave me. But I can tell you something. God's thrown me off in the deep end of the pool. Ministry-wise, so many times I've lost count. Hmm? And you know what? You know what you do? You do like old Peter did when he started sinking beneath the waves. Lord, help! Three things I want to show you about this putting faith in God, this trusting in God. You trust in God's process. You have to trust in his process. We need to understand that God knows what he's doing. And can I say it? God knew what he was doing when he tapped you for the job. Y'all still with me? Some of y'all are trying to convince God he picked the wrong person. You're wasting your time. Best thing you can do is focus on getting the job done and quit telling him he don't know what he's doing. Now, there have been a few times I've worked for people that asked me to do things. I look back now, and they were out of their mind asking me to do it. I was working for a guy named Gary Rackley one time in, in Atlanta. He went to our church at Lot of Calvary. I hope he finds this message, and I hope he watches it. Because I was doing a roof. We he, he owned a roofing business, RAC Roofing. And uh, I'd only been working with him for a, a few days, and we showed up at a job, and they were tearing the roof off of a house, like two or three layers of shingles. They were tearing them off this house, and they were sliding down this, this, this plywood chute into the back of a dump truck. And, and I got up there and started, started popping shingles and, 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 and scraping shingles. And, and Gary came over and said, I don't want you doing that. I'm like, man, I'm the, I'm the youngest guy. I'm like 18, 19 years old. I'm the flunky. No, I don't want you doing that. I need you to drive this dump truck to the landfill. We're on the other side of Atlanta. We're on the, we're on the west side of Atlanta. And, he, and the landfill is all the way in Conyers on the east side of Atlanta. It takes an hour to drive through Atlanta. I never drove a dump truck in my life. Never. I had never even probably been in one. The thing is weighted, the whole back of the truck trailer is loaded with shingles. Oh, it gets better. The brakes were out. And it was out of alignment. It was a stick shift. The stick was about that long. It was one of them grind it till you find it deals. You know what I'm talking about? Get it in the gear. I want you to take this dump truck and, and, and unload it and come back. I looked at him like, are you out of your mind? I said, Gary, there's no way. Why me? He said, well, nobody else on the roof's got a driver's license. They're all a bunch of drunks. I'm like, my lucky day. I got in that truck. I am not lying to y'all. I got in that dump truck and I started up the interstate. And every time somebody would get in front of me and cut me off like they do, playing suicide chicken with a dump truck, and I'd hit the brakes, they wouldn't work. So I would have to stand on the brake pedal. I mean, I'm talking about my, my hiney was completely out of the seat. 
I'm standing on the brake pedal with both legs, and every time I did, it was starting to turn. So I'm, I'm holding on to the steering wheel, and I'm having to keep it in the lane and stop the truck and then downshift so it don't die in the middle of the interstate. Y'all, that was the most stressful, unbelievable thing I've been through in my life. And I got to that landfill, finally backed it up, and I didn't know how to dump the stuff. I didn't know, the, I didn't know how to dump it. I had to get somebody over there. How do you dump this thing? Well, I think, try this switch. Try this switch. No, that's the lights. That's the, that's the, that's the headlights. That's the windshield wipers. I finally dumped the, dumped the truck. Got back to the job two and a half hours later. And when I got out of that truck, I felt like I had won the Super Bowl. <laughs> and I still look back on that day and I say to myself, Gary Rackley was out of his ever-loving mind asking me to do that. But I did it. I did it. I was standing at Lake Oconee one day helping John Perillo, a flunky again, on the interior trim crew. And, and my boss, Michael Thomas, comes up to me. Michael Thomas was very harsh. He was very, very hard, very proud man. He was a heavy drinker, heavy gambler. He came to me and said, I want you to hang that door, that front door. You talking to me? Yeah. Hang that front door. Now, that don't sound like much, but this was a $5,000 special order door. That was like 10 weeks out and finally got delivered. And it's just sitting there. It's just a slab, Brother Roth, sitting up against the wall. On this multi-million dollar house, he said, I want you to hang it. There's no hinges. The hinges, where the hinges go is not even mortised out. There's no doorknob. There's no doorknob hole. There's no deadbolt hole. It's just a slab, a $5,000 door. He says, I want you to hang that door. I said, Michael, I've never hung a door in my life. He said, figure it out. And he walked out the door. He got in his truck, and he went to the clubhouse to drink and gamble. And I'm standing there looking at this door going, you have got to be kidding me. I went and got John. John was a superintendent. John was running trim. I said, John, come here a minute. I said, Michael wants us to hang his door. He said, no, he told you to hang the door. <laughs> I, said, I said, John, I have never hung a door in my life. He said, learn. I said, it's a $5,000 door. I said, what's going to happen if I mess it up? He said, don't. I walked around that door. I looked at that door. I looked at that hole. And I thought, these people are out of their mind. I went and got my chisels. I went and got my drill. Some of you are looking at me like, you know what I'm talking about. Trust me, this is absolutely, it's ridiculous. This is ridiculous. And I want to tell you, I measured, and I measured, and I measured, and I measured, and I measure, and I measure, and take a pencil, make a mark, and measure. Because I know once I stick this drill bit through this door, it's all over. John, help me. He told you to do it. Six hours later, that door was hung. Oh, it took me six hours. I was getting paid by the hour, and I did not care. 
mortising out hinges, drilling the hole in the door, putting the doorknobs on, putting the deadbolts on, hanging that door, planing that door. And when that thing shut and it locked, I felt like I'd won the Super Bowl. <laughs> Woo! Hey, John, I did it. Man. I didn't even get a cardboard cookie. I said that to say this. There have been times in my life when I felt that way toward God when he asked me to do something. I'm like, are you kidding me? Me? Why? Why? I felt that way when God moved me to Baltimore. Trust in God's process. Trust in God's partnership. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. We're strengthened. But here's, see, here's what we forget sometimes. When God taps us on the shoulder and gives us an overwhelming assignment, he's going to be there. He told, he told Isaiah, he told Jeremiah, I'm sorry. He told Jeremiah chapter number one. Here's what he said in verse number eight. Be not afraid of their faces for I am with thee to deliver thee. Oh, it's going to be hard. It's going to be rough. There's going to be some sleepless nights, but I want you to know I will be with you. Trust in his partnership. Unlike the other people that stuck me out there by myself doing something crazy. I cannot imagine looking at a, a rookie and say, hang a $5,000 door and then walk off. There is no way in the world. My luck, they would ruin that door and I'd have to eat that $5,000. But see, God don't do that. He don't send you off somewhere he's never been. He don't ever send you off somewhere and leave you by yourself. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Trust in God's process, trust in God's partnership, trust in God's power. The job was overwhelming, but the God that calls also is a God that enables. Wow. Paul said this in 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. He said in Colossians 1.29, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Sometimes God wants you to do something impossible so that you will rely upon him. And God's promised never to put more on us than we could bear. Right. Number three, I'm done. We see a triumph that is declared. In every one of these instances, God's God's issuing of that overwhelming assignment it brought forth exactly what he wanted to do Noah built that ark didn't he he built it he got all those animals on that ark I wish he'd left them fire ants off and I wish he'd left them rats off but he just did what God told him to do Nehemiah built those walls didn't he Record time. What was it 52, 53 days, something like that? And we could just go on and on. The triumph that is declared in every one of these situations, God set it up where those men could not take the credit. You can't take the credit. 
God calls, God enables, and God gets the glory for the accomplishment. I'm going to close with this. Listen carefully. God's not giving you an overwhelming assignment to show you what you can do. God's not giving you an overwhelming assignment to prove that you can't do it or that you can do it. God's not giving you an overwhelming assignment to show others what you can do. God's not giving you an overwhelming assignment to cultivate some secret talent or ability. Because not many mighty, not many wise are chosen. God asks us to do impossible things in order for him to get the glory when they're accomplished. God asks us to do unbelievable things so he can get glory. He sometimes he'll use the most unlikely people. He'll use the he'll use the can I say it? He'll use the dumbest, the weakest, the most inexperienced. He'll reach out and put his hand on them and say, "I ordained you to do something," and you might kick and scream a little bit without, "Ah, oh, Lord God." But you know what he's going to say? Don't say that. Don't say you're just a child. I'm going to put the words in your mouth. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to help you. And I've set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. And here's what we're going to do right here. I wonder tonight with heads bowed, eyes closed, there may be somebody in this service tonight. This message was for you.